the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back, Wednesday, January 19th, 2022. I am Seth Liebson, live from the Guns Etc. studio. And we have uh, Chris Llewellyn, Vice President of All Things Important, sitting in for Bill today in the producer's uh, chair. Good to have you, Chris. Uh, we'll do a check-in with you in a few moments. Thanks for doing this. Phone number 602-508-0960. Joe Biden is uh, giving... Uh, is is uh, concluding his, uh, I guess, second full press conference with the White House press corps of his presidency. We had uh, this would be two, um, two, uh, yeah. So Barack Obama and Donald Trump each had over twenty by this time in their presidency. This is Joe Biden's second. I can see why. Everyone can see why. The questions were interesting, and I will talk to you about them in a moment. But let me just point out something Joe Concha has pointed out. There was not a single question on violent crime. There was not a single question on the border crisis and fentanyl deaths now being the leading cause of death between those 18 to 49. Um, there were a lot of things not asked. The, the big issue, and I think the big takeaway from this press conference will be what he said about Russia. Uh, he probably has his national security staff right now pulling their hair out if they have doused the fire that he lit on it in the first place. He gave a green light to Vladimir Putin on invading the Ukraine or Ukraine. U.S. President Joe Biden predicted on Thursday, I'm reading from a uh, from a Reuters report, U.S. President Joe Biden predicted on Thursday that Russian President Vladimir Putin will make a move into Ukraine, but a full-scale invasion would trigger a massive response that would be costly for Russia and its economy. My guess is he will move in, Biden said. He has to do something. Do I think he'll test the West, test the United States and NATO as significantly as he can? Yes, I think he will. He is giving... Vladimir Putin, a green light to test NATO and the United States and to go in to the Ukraine. He went further. He said Russia will be held accountable if it invades, but it depends on what he does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion. I'm quoting your president of the United States directly. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and we end up having to fight about what to do and not to do. But if they actually do what they're capable of doing, it's going to be a disaster for Russia. If they're if they're going to do what they're capable of doing, Russia's capable of annihilation. Let me repeat to you what he said. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and we end up having to fight about what to do and not to do. Who's the we? Who's going to have to end up fighting and discussing what to do and not to do? Joe Biden is advisors. 
Joe Biden and NATO, Joe Biden and the allies. Ukraine used to think it was an ally. And Joe Biden says, my guess is he will move in. And it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion. One commentator said, so we're basically now in favor of mostly peaceful incursions. He did get a follow up from two different reporters. They tried to help him correct the record. He was asked again by Reuters if he was giving Putin a green light for a small incursion. Joe Biden laughed and he said it did sound like that, didn't it? But then rather than doing the obvious thing and straightening it out, he went on to a monologue on the importance of keeping NATO together. It gave Putin a further green light. There's an easy answer if he were serious and if he were thinking as to how to handle that question, saying it did sound like that, didn't it? That's not what it was meant to communicate. We will not tolerate any incursion into Ukraine and the response will be proportionate. That's what I meant. That's all he had to say. That's all he had to say. The response will be proportionate. He could have spoken like Donald Trump. He could have said the response will be disproportionate. He could have done that. He could have put a little fear in Russia's leadership. He didn't. He didn't say any of that. He laughed and gave a lecture on NATO. CNN tried it again tried to lift him out of this mistake again. CNN asked a question, a follow-up on this. And Biden said, the only thing I know for sure is that, uh, is that the decision is Putin's and what side of the bed he gets up on. All of this is Putin's. Do you, do you realize what a resignation of status and power that is for the United States president to say the decision is entirely Putin's? I don't know how many took poli sci courses in this audience or how many took, you know, majors or steep or deep studies in foreign policy. But there's a word here. There's a word about which probably, probably 20,000 books have been written, if not more. The word is called deterrence. Deterrence. Does anyone remember what deterrence is? It has guided Every piece of foreign policy since George Washington was president. How do we deter an enemy or a competitor or even an ally from doing something we don't want them to do? We do not say and have never said except in one other time I can think of. We do not say and have never said it's their decision. It's entirely up to them. And I think they'll do it, which is what Joe Biden said to Vladimir Putin. The only other the only other close thing I can think of is when Joe Biden's erstwhile boss, Barack Obama, farmed out the Syria problem to Russia and Vladimir Putin. How do we put up with this? People ask me, how is it that he even gets elected? How is he even getting 33 percent or any percent approval? Well, don't underestimate what people don't pay attention to. Think about it this way. If you listen to this show or any show on talk radio, for that matter, or if you tune in to uh, your favorite news channel, I don't care what it is, you are, you, you are probably in the 90th percentile of, 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 of information about politics in America. 
Most of the country does not pay attention to this. Most of the country is under the grips of what sociologist Philip Reith called the triumph of the therapeutic. What is the triumph of the therapeutic? It's that we are now in a psychological era, a psychological era that cares more about how we feel than what we think. Philip Reith put it this way. Whether or not a monarch or a mass leader has great executive ability or power, modern politics suggests that his primary function may well be psychological. He acts as a center around which otherwise disturbed lives can be organized. Now, you look at what the left has put this country through, even under Donald Trump. You look at what the left has put this country through when it comes to COVID and everything from there. You look at what the, the left has put this country through when it came to riots. You look at what, the country has put, what, the, what, what this country has been put through by the left when it comes not just to riots and not just to COVID, but when it comes to every little statement that Donald Trump made and the thousands of lies they complained about him making and continually reiterated that he said – Joe Biden has beaten that number and beaten that record. You look at what the left has put this country through, and Joe Biden comes here and makes them feel better. Why? Because they don't have to deal with Donald Trump. And it has nothing to do with accomplishments. If it had to do with accomplishments, Joe Biden would have been asked about violent crime. He would have been asked about the border crisis. He would have been asked about fentanyl deaths. He would have been asked about how come more people have died on his watch than previously. He would have been asked about Afghanistan. He would have been asked about stopping uh, stopping the flow of illegal immigrants along with the fentanyl that's coming across the border. He would have been asked more strongly, more questions about inflation with strong follow-ups. He would have been asked about energy independence. He would have been asked a whole lot of other questions. Now, while I think Russia will be the headline, it is interesting that the press tried again and again and again to rehabilitate him on his Russia answer. I can understand why they'd want to, but understand what the press is doing here, avoiding all the serious questions. Joe Biden said something interesting about Republicans, too. He was asked about working with Republicans, and I'll tell you what he said when we come back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. A few other things to take away from the Biden press conference today. He said, I outperformed what anyone thought would happen. Does anyone believe that? I outperformed what anyone thought would happen. Can anyone tell me one thing he has actually made better? One thing. One. One thing. And he's now saying he outperformed what anyone thought would happen? He said, I, quoting directly, I want Republicans to get in the game to help make this country better. I want Republicans to get in the game to help make this country better because they've been trying to make this country worse, one proposes. He says, name me one thing Republicans are for. Name me one thing Republicans are for. Not hard, 
cracking down on crime, lifting mandates, enforcing our border, getting Americans out of Afghanistan he left behind, stopping drugs from coming in through the border, which would mean stopping illegals coming from the border, over two million on his watch. But then this very interesting thing happened in the press conference today. A reporter said Senator Mitt Romney stated that you never and no one in the White House ever called him once on the Build Back Better agenda. How is that? How is that? And do you know what Joe Biden said? Joe Biden said he didn't contradict it. He said, I spent most of my time working on the Democrats. Think about that for a moment. I spent most of my time working on the Democrats. So while he's blaming Republicans, he couldn't get his own caucus unanimously behind him enough to pass his Build Back Better agenda. And at the same time, while he's saying, name me one thing Republicans are for, he's admitting he doesn't speak to Republicans. How would he know? He did it again with regard to Mitch McConnell. He said, tell me what Mitch's plan is for immigration. Well, it's really quite simple, isn't it? Isn't it? Solidify the border or the same answer we've been giving since this issue came to us in 2005. Simply enforce the law. Enforce the law. And make illegal immigrants or migrants or undocumented immigrants, however you want to call them. Make them live by the same rules that you make Americans live by. Following and abiding the law. And I was about to say, but this is problematic now, given the new raft of DAs that we have across the country, district attorneys. But I was going to say... Quit releasing them on their own recognizance when you know half of them or more will never return and will go on to commit more and more crime. It's really not that hard. But, you know, he gets away with it. He will get away with it. The only problem is he has to face something that he doesn't want to face. You know what that is? I think you do. It's an election this November. It's an election this November. So mark this down. Mark this down as something to watch for. As we get closer and closer to the election in November, watch Joe Biden and the Democrats say more and more about how they were thwarted in their effort to pass election reform. How they were thwarted in their effort not to pass the kind of legislation that would federalize our election processes. Listen to this little takeaway, just this little takeaway from the presser today. Just give me one second to pull this up. Thank you, Mr. President. Speaking of voting rights legislation, if this isn't passed, do you still believe the upcoming election will be fairly conducted and its results will be legitimate? Well, it all depends on... Uh whether or not we're able to make the case to the American people 
that some of this is being set up to try to alter the outcome of the election. Whoa. Whoa. Joe Biden is accusing Republicans of trying to rig the upcoming election. I thought this was what constituted the big lie to the Democrats in the media over the last election. And by the way, by the way, if the last election was so legitimate to propel Joe Biden into the office of the presidency, Chuck Schumer into the leadership of the Senate, Nancy Pelosi in the leadership of the House, how is it that we need to have a massive overhaul of our election laws right now because of unfairness or illegitimacy? How is that? Is any reporter going to ask that question? But think about the precursion he just engaged in. It all depends on whether or not we're able to make the case to the American people that some of this is being set up to alter the outcome. Name me one thing Republicans are trying to do to fudge the elections in November. Voter ID? Is that it? Voter ID? Voter ID is Jim Crow 2.0? Well, common sense obviously tells you it isn't. And an IQ that reaches three digits tells you it isn't. But mark my words, there's not going to be a federal overhaul of the election processes right now. That legislation is not going anywhere. He knows it. Chuck Schumer knows it. It's not happening. But mark my words, this is going to be the refrain going into November. And he's going to blame the Republicans for not passing basic civil rights election reform, his phrasing. That's what's going to be the mantra. And what was known as the big lie over the last election will be the big campaign slogan for the Democrats of this one, the illegitimacy of upcoming November elections. You know, it's interesting. Once upon a time, we might have been proud of how many people showed up to vote in 2020. It was a record-breaking banner year. More Americans voted than in any other presidential election. And this was true across the country. More people showed up to vote and more people voted than ever before. How is it possible that with that record-breaking 2020 election, he can say with a straight face and people can buy with a sober head, the notion that people were kept away from the ballot box based on their race. How is that possible? And can anyone demonstrate a single person that that was true for? Anywhere? Anyone? A single name? No. The concern is not that individuals were kept from the ballot, were kept from the voting booths. That's not the concern. The concern is that one person, one vote, meant one person and two or more votes. That was the concern. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. 34 past the hour brings us the great John Dombrowski from Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. The Word on Wealth is his radio show heard every Saturday right here at 7 a.m. How are you, John? Fantastic. I want to talk to you about a question on um, 
on uh, economic conditions uh, based on a story in the Wall Street Journal uh, mm-hmm. and 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 how we're going to be made poorer as a country by ongoing uh, by ongoing viruses. Uh, but before I do that, right up your alley is this interesting study. I think it came out of Schwab on people's views on retirement mm-hmm. and uh, what they think they need to retire. Uh, the likelihood that they're achieving their retirement goals. Those numbers seem to be going in the right direction about people getting to where they want or think they are where they want with their retirement goals. But what kind of interested me is the average amount people think they needed to save for their retirement. And they come in at just under $2 million. Does, what, what does that say to you? Or is that just a hard number to process given an average, because most Americans, you know, uh, have different different kinds of needs and expectations in their retirement. Well, I think you're right on that, Seth. But you know, think about 1.9 million dollars. Yeah. I mean, that seems like a lot of money. It most does people, seem like right? a lot of money. Yeah. Most people would say, "Well, gosh, I'm never going to get to have a one one point million dollars. I'm never going to be able to retire." Right. But there are a lot of factors that go into this when you think about it, right? There are those that fortunately may be able to retire with uh, owning their home and not having a mortgage on their home once they retire. I mean, if that's the case, that's certainly a wonderful position to be in. There are those out there maybe who would still hold a mortgage, so obviously their expenses might be higher. There Mm -hmm. are those out there that don't own any real estate. Mm -hmm. Maybe they have... uh, they're renting a piece of property or they're renting, they're living in a, a, an apartment. Mm-hmm. So they'll always have rent even in retirement. Uh, so there are a ton, a ton of factors. Where you live, what about, you know, living in, say, Scottsdale versus living in uh, Glendale? Astrop, Texas. Even. Yeah, right. Yeah, or exactly. I'm just yeah. even state to state. Or even Glendale, right. Yeah. Right. I right. mean, there's a variety of different uh, cost of living adjustments that would occur depending on where you live, what you're used to. You know, uh, type of living are you doing? Do you spend a lot? What are your spending habits? So there are a lot of factors. But you're right, 1.9 million. This was a, a Charles Schwab uh, did this study of a thousand people. But f- some of the good things that came out of this study, I think, are uh, as an example, a likelihood to achieve retirement yeah. savings goals yeah. was one of their. That's in, up. Yeah, in 2020, it was only 37 yeah. percent of the population, yeah. but in 2021, it's 53 percent of the population. That's a big hike. Yep. Uh, and then somewhat likely went down from 49 to 39, not likely went up from uh, 14 to 8. It went up, meaning that 8% of the people only thought they weren't going to versus 14 the year before. So that was good. So uh, there are a variety of things in here that actually were very positive. Uh, debts being paid off uh, quicker. More people are investing in 401ks than were before. Uh, so there are a lot of positive sides to this study, which I, I find very um, appealing. But if people really think they need $1.9 million, well, then how are you going to get there? It's going to be more important for you to consider the investment strategy that you have. And so what we did see is in 2020, 39% of people believed that they they needed financial advice. Now it's up to 61%. So a big jump in the number of people that believe they're going to need financial advice to get to their financial goals, which is probably a good thing, Uh, seeking out the advice to help you get through some of these issues, like the volatile times we're facing right now. The NASDAQ today, Seth, for the listeners out there, uh, moved into correction territory today, down 10% from its all-time high in November. So these are volatile times. People start to get nervous about this. Maybe people, if they're not working with a financial professional, 
it's very easy to make a mistake because you're getting emotional about your investments, and that's important uh, to work with a professional on this. There was one other thing I wanted to ask you. Maybe you have uh, enough time to do it quickly. I noticed that given four options on top behaviors going forward, people being more likely to save, increase 401 uh, contributions or invest outside of 401 contributions or pay off debt. Pay off debt got the lowest number. Do you think that should be in the first number? Well, it depends on the debt, okay. the type of debt, Seth, right? If we've got those uh, unsecured debts, the credit card debts, those types of loans, uh, yeah, you want to get those paid off because those are at ridiculous interest rates. Uh, but the home mortgage is a little bit different, right? Okay. That's a debt that's deductible. It's usually at a lower rate. It's usually part of your household budget. Uh, but I have to tell this to folks, too. Interest rates are creeping up a little bit here. We're already paying ridiculous credit card interest rates. You're going to watch. Interest rates on credit cards are going to go up as well, Uh, which is really going to be uh, something we have to watch very closely if we have credit card debt. You betcha. Thank you, John. Nicely done. Securities and advisory services offered to Clientwood Securities LLC, a member of Finran Sipic and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Clientwood Securities LLC are not affiliated. Go to our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Request an appointment right there. Perfect. Thank you. Talk later. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. As we do every Wednesday, we check in with our Robert H. Jackson Fellow in Constitutional Studies, Brett W. Johnson. He's a partner at the law firm of Snell & Wilmer, SWLaw.com. Brett, thanks for being with us today. Much appreciated. Oh, thanks for having me again, Seth. You betcha, always and forever. Uh, Brett, one of the things um, I asked if you wouldn't mind looking into is something that people hear about here and there, but when they hear about it, it seems like most people don't know much about it, and it's this thing called the Hatch Act, and it becomes a little bit more important as we go into an election year. Uh, the first thing to know about it is it has nothing to do with Orrin Hatch, which most people think it does. <laughs> it's not about Orrin Hatch, the former uh, famous uh, ch- uh, chair of the Judiciary Committee, retired senator from Utah. It's a law that goes back, I think, to the Roosevelt administration. But what are we talking about when we hear about the Hatch Act and why is it relevant as we go into an election year? Yeah, no, definitely. And and it is always sad for Senator Hatch yeah. because nobody wants to hang out with him at yeah. cocktail parties because his name's on it, yeah. right? Um, so, so you're right. This, this is a law that goes back to the 1930s, and, okay. and obviously it, it deals with the speech of federal employees that go all the way up to everybody except for the vice president and the president. So anybody at the White House, any cabinet secretaries, your local law enforcement officials, et cetera, that, who are on the federal status, that they have to comply with the Hatch Act, which basically restricts their First Amendment rights to to uh, engage in speech while they're on duty or, or in an active role. And as you hire and higher up in the ranks, there are more and more restrictions on you. Each state, ha- um, not each, all of them, but majority of states also have what's called Little Hatch Act uh-huh. that apply to state governmental officials and and basically, as you make sense, they're, they're there on behalf of the public, and they should not be using their time being paid for with tax dollars to engage in political um, activity. And for the federal government, there's a whole agency that's dedicated to kind of looking into it. It's called the Office of Special Counsel. Um, it does have uh, some, some teeth in the way that they are able to write opinions, but at the end of the day, it's up to the person's boss whether or not to take disciplinary action against them. Um, and in recent years, um, you go back to President Obama's administration, several folks were under investigation for that uh, during that period of time. The most famous is probably under President Trump's 
um, a presidency and Kelly and Conway, I think, was accused of about 60 different Hatch Act violations. <laughs> and now as we're getting back into the election cycle again, you're seeing um, similar uh, conversations, not just about uh, President Biden's administration, but also about state officials and, and what state officials are, are using taxpayer dollars for. On the Little Hatch Acts, let's just deal with Arizona for a moment. Is there the similar sure. type of exemption one would think it applies to the president, it applies to the governor, that kind of that kind of parity going on? Yes, the governor, um, other elected officials at that level, okay. constitutional chief executive officials, but okay. the chief executives, but they're still, and even the president of the United States can't do this, is engage in, in fundraising um, in in a. Um, uh, during government hours or during a government facility. So what in the modern age, what people are kind of discussing, and you'll see this on social media back and forth as, as a discussion point, what happens when, say, um, a candidate for state office puts out a very glitzy um, advertisement about what their office is doing, like okay. tough on crime, okay. et cetera, okay. and that's using taxpayer dollars, and then it's tweeted by the campaign. Uh-huh. So put out there on official source and then it's retweeted and is that really trying to get around the little hatch act or the hatch act um in many contexts so it it, it and it, as we get further and further in social media you know these kind of gray areas are going to consistently come out now what the supreme court traditionally says is definitely hatch act um is a is appropriate exemption from the first amendment and the sovereign the king has the ability to limit um the speech during government hours um, but the Supreme Court, more often than not, sides with the employee or the or the political appointee and saying, no, that's actually covered by the, the First Amendment and the Hatch Act wasn't violated. So um, just just for context. Is this one of those laws? I don't know. We, you, you could probably think of 20 off the top of your head. I, I can't. But maybe like the Espionage Act, that it's rarely prosecuted uh, because of so many gray areas and so many possible possible I don't know defenses or precedents that would run to the contrary, I, I can't remember. For example, though Kellyanne may have been accused fifty times, I, I just don't remember any any particular sanctions. For example, nothing. Yes, yeah. no. So again, it's up to the up to your um, the political appointee's boss. In that case, it was President Trump okay. to decide whether or not disciplinary action occurs, and, it, and it's not criminal, although. Uh, some people say, hey, send me to jail for exercising my yeah, First Amendment right. speech. No, this is really an employment matter. Um, and But a lot of people are saying, hey, that that, that government official, that political, um, is not allowed to do X because that's a violation. And, and that's true. And, there, again, there's an agency to investigate it. But the bark is loud. The bite is very, very minimal. So when we see the president or the vice president giving a big speech for the party, their party, their political party, we know right off the top that's fine because the Hatch Act exempts them. It, it, it gets – I take it it gets harder if there's a popular secretary of state who might be good at fundraising. That's what makes it more difficult? Yeah. That's exactly right. And under President Trump, there was a Secretary of State Pompeo yeah. who was also um, accused of violating the Hatch Act because of going around and doing doing different activities. So it gets much tougher, especially for those political appointees, because many of them come from elected office, yeah. former governors, right. former attorney general. Like Pompeo himself. And yeah. it's just yeah. Pompeo himself. And, yeah. and so it's just kind of ingrained with them. 
So, and it, it's walking that fine line of, of what hat is actually being worn. And actually, it was HUD Secretary Castro underneath Obama, who tried in the middle of an interview, said, I'm taking off my HUD Secretary hat uh-huh. and, and now I'm, I'm supporting President Obama in regard to some election matter. And, and this Office of Special Counsel says, now you can't switch hats in the middle of an interview. I gotcha. And then the only other thing I guess I would ask is this. We're used to seeing a lot of popular administration officials, be it a chief of staff or someone in a communications role or a cabinet member, give speeches at various uh, annual galas of organizations, the types of which you and I probably are members of, um, think tanks and that sort of thing. By virtue of that status of a think tank, i.e., a C three organization does that is that is that a safe harbor? Are they allowed to do that without violating the it Hatch is. Act? Okay, it is. Now they may have to go talk to their ethics counselor, which was one of my first jobs out of law school. Can okay, you believe it for the Navy. Yeah. Um, and they may have to go get permission just to make sure that uh, what they're accepting, the meal, the event, is appropriate for their office. And especially military officers have it have it worse off than most in, in trying to get approvals there. Um, but they, having those types of speeches completely appropriate. The government wants its government officials, and in fact, the Supreme Court has said that who better to talk about the function of government than government officials, and that sometimes treads into um, political discussions. It's just when you start advocating for a specific candidate, that's probably where they're crossing the line. Perfect. Perfect. And of course, those C3s themselves can't can't engage in partisan activity either. So, Correct. Right. So it kind of Correct. works in both directions. Brett Johnson, that was perfectly clarifying. That was wonderful. I appreciate it. Perfect. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you. Uh, until next week. God bless you. I'm Seth Leibson. You can check out uh, Brett Johnson uh, at SWLaw.com. It's a law firm I have used. It's not uh, a sponsor of the show or anything like that, but I have found that those guys and gals are just the tops. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back uh, to uh, the Seth Leibson Show, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. studios here on uh, Camelback. I am... in my opening statement, it wasn't really a monologue. I was kind of going uh, in real time just based off watching the press conference uh, of the president's, which has concluded. Uh, but I did have a quote that I shared with you from uh, a, a sociologist named Philip Reef in his book, The Triumph of the Therapeutic, talking about how feelings have really trumped truth and fact in our society. He wrote that back in the 60s, and it's, of course, uh, become uh, not – just a speculation or a theory. I think it's 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 it was prophetic and it's become true. But the quote I was ta- uh, I used uh, in part was to say that the modern leader suggests that his primary function in our culture now is psychological, that he acts as a center around which otherwise disturbed lives can be organized. Think about that: someone to make you feel good if you're living in a disturbed life, living a disturbed life. I, I, I give you that as I reveal what John Hinderocker just put out over on Powerline, findings from a brand new poll. Shocking. 59% of Democrats favor legislation that would confine all unvaccinated people in their homes except in case of emergency. Should that not, does that not frighten you? of Democrats favor legislation that would confine unvaccinated people in their homes. 
with exceptions only for the case of an emergency? When we talk, as we did yesterday, about collusion with China and too much of the Democratic Party being in too big of a bed with China, 59% of Democrats favor legislation that would confine all unvaccinated people in their homes. This is Maoism. This is Stalinism. This is amazing to me. 48% of Democrats think the government should fine or imprison individuals who publicly question the efficacy of the existing COVID-19 vaccines on social media, television, radio, or in online or digital publications. Don't just be frightened by this. Don't just be frightened by 59% of Democrats wanting to lock up unvaccinated people or 50% of Democrats thinking it's fine to imprison individuals or fine them if they question the efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines on social media. Don't just be don't just be amazed or frightened or shocked. Know thy opponent and know what the stakes are and pull up your socks and show them there's another way. There's another way. Florida showed it. It's another F. Freedom. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 